Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp. As always, I'm joined by Will Murden. How's it going today, Will? Really good, man. Really good. How are you? I'm so good. And we're joined as well by our aggressively mediocre uh, production manager as well in English Chess. So that's fantastic. She's been giving us a hard time this afternoon, oh, hasn't she? It really getting at me. But it's kind of... What not is it? justified. I thought you were going to say it's justified. It's 100% no, not. No, no, absolutely not. But what is it that kind of sharpens blades to make them? There's a saying there. Steel. No, Steel. what is it? Like iron sharpens iron? Yeah. Or something? Is <laughs> that know. what you're after? She thinks this is good. She <laughs> thinks this is top quality right off the bat. So maybe she's fair with some of what she's saying because this ain't a great start. Yeah, it's a false start out of the block straight put, away. Let's put that behind us and make sure we have a cracking one this weekend because... I don't know, there's only a couple of weeks left. There is. As we, she keeps pointing out. <laughs> she, yes, she, as she's commonly becoming known as, is well aware that the college football season is starting to draw to its climax. Uh, and But before we get to that, we've got week 12 recap. Why are you laughing at climax there, English Jess? Something she hasn't uh, heard of in quite some time, I imagine. I haven't experienced one of those. All right, um... Week 12 recap episode, uh, another, again, okay weekend of college football. There were some really big games, some really interesting moments, a lot of blowouts, actually, in a lot of conferences, but we will make sure that we hit all the game recaps. We've got a few bits and pieces to get through in terms of general thoughts, takeaways from the week. Uh, we're going to hit the state of play and just give you guys a bit of an update about where we're at in terms of conferences and who's still in the running, who's fallen well off the pace um as you try and keep track of all the games that are being played we've got helmet stickers to give our aussies in action bold predictions and i'll step in for scotty butler who did a fantastic job last week so well done to him and he'll be happy with his georgia bulldogs success over the weekend as well and then on the punt and i think we'll may have run out of luck again i'm not entirely sure on this one i've lost track now you go you went okay i think didn't you yeah yeah looking good mate We're not all good not as Turn aggressive as what you are were coming in this time last week no not that but uh no i'm looking forward to this state of play too i think it's a perfect time to set the scene for where things are at i know you kind of get so caught up in it that you don't really take that step back and go well who's actually a contender so this is going to be a good opportunity for us to have a look at that and hopefully enlighten all our listeners out there around what the what the remaining games actually mean i think and especially with a bit of a down week coming up in week 13 in readiness for rivalry week week 14 uh, which will effectively determine where we're at for conference playoffs or conference championship games. Okay, let's jump straight in. The juice will give it to me. What was the positive thing that you thought about this weekend's action? So this might knock your socks off a little bit, but uh, for me, I don't like OU. Oh, like, wow. I, I don't, but I do like historic moments. And we saw one on the weekend with, we with their performance. I mean, they overcame the biggest deficit in school history. This program's been around for 100 years, mm. like over 100 years. That's, that's fucking incredible. So 25 points down, stormed home. They did this without their best playmaker in C.D. Lamb. Who did not, not play available. the game, yeah. Did you know since 2014, since we moved to the new playoff format, that teams who have been down by more than 25 or 25 or greater against a ranked opponent are a combined 0 and 162 
I mean, that doesn't surprise me, no. actually, like because ranked teams, once they get up that big, they're just, most of the time they're just blowing out their opposition. Or, or not it, even blowing out, just winning. It's an insane fact that they were able to turn that around and get it going. Because I was one of them who was watching with quite a bit of delight early on when <laughs> Baylor were really just putting on them and got out that to that huge lead that they had. I was like, man, this is done. This, this is game over. Mm. They were playing so well. Oklahoma were playing really bad, and, and I thought that was over. So to see them turn that around, it was really impressive for me. So uh, you've got to pay res- respect where it's due. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to do the same. Not a massive Notre Dame fan, and I've been critical of them this season, particularly their downfield passing attack under Ian Book. But Chase Claypool, and I'm going to specifically focus or narrow the focus onto him, but he was fantastic. Just the, watching the first quarter or first kind of half, just watching him absolutely destroy that Navy defense. They didn't have anyone of his size and athleticism that could run with him. He had seven receptions, 114 yards and four touchdowns, but majority of that came in the first half. He had three touchdowns super early in the game and he was just tearing it up. Yeah, let's just hope if the Americans do go to war that the bad guys don't have any Chase Claypools on their side because he was just wrecking them. Like he was a machine. And I I had the last leg of my multi on Navy. I I was on them to win and it was done early on the back of him. Alone. Yeah, it like, was. Ian Book to him, three touchdowns uh, in game a row, over. game over. Like yeah. a team like that's not coming back from that. So you, you're right. That was super impressive. Okay, I'll jump in because my lay down Sally for this week is a little bit weak, I suppose. I was a bit disappointed in the two up and comers, undefeated up and comers, dropping their first game and that Cinderella story. We talk about historic moments and. Everyone loves an underdog. Everyone loves to go and see them be successful. Obviously, Matt Rule and and bringing Baylor back from where they came from and all the issues surrounding that. And to get back to success, probably this early is a little bit ahead of schedule if there is such a thing. It was a little bit disappointing to see them get up by so big and and then drop that game. And also the Minnesota one. They just didn't play as well as they have been playing. And Minnesota haven't been a prolific team, a particularly good team for a lot of years now, it would have been great to see them, uh, you know, even clinch the West and and really give it a shot. And then, and hopefully we see them go on, those two teams go on and have success in the future as well. But it would have been a great one this time around. Yeah, I feel like you've peeked in at my notes here because that is exactly what I had down as well. So, and I mean, down to the word, the, the last two Cinderella's, that we had this year uh, that were undefeated are uh, now no more. And on top of that, it was kind of, it was a real chalky week too. Like both of those guys were underdogs going into their match, even though they were undefeated. And both of them had a shot to win it and, and yeah. come out and they didn't. And all the other games too, they're like, there wasn't really the upset that we'd seen this year. Uh, there, there was, you know, Iowa State, Texas was a close one, but outside of that all of the favorites got up and that's not what we want to be seeing at this time of year we want to see some some hectic matchups and and all of that so that was a little bit disappointing uh i think the the other thing that we haven't touched on yet that that warrants a mention was the whole tour injury uh and for mine like yeah that that sucks injuries always suck especially when they happen to the best playmakers in the country but the biggest thing that pissed me off about it was the reactions of the fans and just the public in general kind of criticizing saying they're up 28-7 why is he in the game it's the second quarter firstly 
Like, fuck. <laughs> take it easy. And secondly, like, no, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a freak car crash-like injury that occurs that you, you can't predict. And, and you can't go pulling dudes out because of that. Like, if it was his ankle going again because they knew it was a bit, like, banged Dodgy. up still, yeah. then, yeah, maybe I can understand it. But this wasn't that. Like, he passed his medical test to be able to play the week before. Yeah, it might be a little sore, but I don't think that's that's had a factor at all in this. It was one of those things that really sucks. But to hear people come down and have a crash, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Like, it, it happens, it sucks, feel bad for the kid, but don't be bringing any of that sort of stuff into question. Okay, cool. Now, I on that, and we weren't going to talk about this wasn't planning on talking about this but the big news in football after the weekend uh well after thursday night actually was the miles garrett incident with mason rudolph if you haven't seen it i mean it's been everywhere if you haven't seen it and you follow any kind of football surely you've seen that yeah, how'd you get, like get out from under that rock yeah um i did want to just touch on it just a fraction because there was a whole bunch of different stuff all over the place about people and i just want to weigh in quickly here because I hate that attitude around the tour thing and like pull him out. It's like, well, if you're going to do that, sit him for the whole game because he might get injured. And then don't play him at all until the championship game if you make it. Like what's... Yeah, ex- exactly right. Oh, we only play against LSU and the SEC championship game. And, and the Iron Bowl. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. come on. Give me a break. So then, and then I see the Miles Garrett stuff come out and I, I hated the people trying to have a go at Mason Rudolph. He's not a good quarterback. That's got nothing to do with this. And there's there's two angles that I believe on this one is that when someone is slowly tackling you to the ground and everyone's like, oh, he tried to rip his helmet off first. When someone's got their head on your chest there and you're pinned to the ground, you don't have many other options. What are you going to go at there? When someone's got you in that position, what are you going to do in retaliation? Because he was not happy and I think well within his right. Everyone's saying, oh, Mason Rudolph started it. Bullshit. Miles Garrett started that by this slow takedown of the quarterback with eight seconds left in the game let it go buddy and then to turn around and rip his helmet off and swing at him with it and this is the bit that i like people were coming out some dickhead i can't remember who the the person was but it was with Stephen a what smith or whatever his name is And he was, and normally I don't like Stephen A. Smith, but he was actually, I agreed with him on this. And he was like, well, if a man comes at you, like you're going to attack him back. And there's this real like douchebag American attitude that like, if someone comes at you, you're well within your right to just knock him down. It's like, nah, you're being a fuckhead. Like, don't do that. And then there was this, all this assault stuff that was coming up. And I kind of actually agree with that for the first time in a long time is that when you do that and take your helmet off and belt someone over the head with it, like you can't do that in the street. I do get that perspective. I just hate the whole like, oh, if a man comes at you, you're well within your right to put your hands on him. It's like, well, no, you're not actually. I like it. I like you sticking up for my boy there because obviously I'm an Oklahoma State fan. So I I was with you on that. I think that that whole kind of victim shaming almost. Yeah, that's what it seemed like, wasn't it? It was a little bit like trying to justify and then that always kind of at the end, give a cat. Oh, not that I'm justifying the actions at all, but he started it. It's kind of like, well, you are. That's exactly what you're saying. No offense. I think you're a fuckhead. Well, no, I'm offended. Like, you know, you, you can't just go throwing little throwaway lines at the back of things and, and not it carrying the meaning that it does. On the whole, you know, I, I can understand the heat of the moment sort of thing. Like, it, 
I am with most people. I feel like most of the coverage has been like, he needs to be sat for the year. It, yeah. It's a terrible thing. And, and he will, and, and he's going to wear it now. And, and that's kind of where it is. It, it's one of those heat of the heat of the moment things though, where you've kind of ripped something off of him. And if he had his time again, I'm certainly wouldn't do it, but there's kind of the punishment for it. I'm just glad it worked out that he wasn't badly hurt. Yeah. It wasn't a lot worse. Than I enjoyed my case pouncey though. Just going fucking. Yeah. Train. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I had no issue with that. And I don't think anyone really, did. Yes. Yeah, or some people were really, really? Like, oh, he, he should have the book train too. Like dog move. I'm like, yeah, I'm, he's sticking up for his. Boy. Yeah. I got no that issue one with I'm, that. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with, but yeah, it's, I think on the whole, the reactions were pretty good. I think there's a few people out there trying to throw in some hot takes to... to I hate that bullshit, spice. though. Yeah. It's like, it's a it's a hot take to try and cause a headline. Fucking give me a break. Just be honest for once. You, you won't know. get that from this show. Oh, no, absolutely. Okay, let's move along quickly because we do want to get to state of play. So let's start in the ACC. Now, we just want to touch on teams that are uh, really going to take control. So in the ACC, Clemson 8-0. They've got the Atlantic. They've got the Atlantic stitched up. That is clinched. The next team back is four and three, and that's been done for a while with only, you know, two games to go. Across in the coastal, it is a dog's breakfast there at the moment. So Virginia are five and two in conference. You've then got Pitt at four and two, Virginia Tech four and two, Miami four and three. So Pitt and Virginia Tech play this week. Virginia Tech actually hold... Well, they're actually in control of their own destiny, I suppose. They play Pitt this week. They win that... They then go to Virginia, and if they win that, they then would hold the tiebreaker, uh, and they would get through. But they drop one of those, and they're toast. Pitt can get through. Virginia can get through. Even, I believe, at this stage, Miami can get through if all the results go the way that they need to. So it's and we a, kind of we kind of pre- predicted this at the start of the year. We've, yeah, we we've did. We've been talking about the coastal. You've been a Miami boy. Like we've probably given them more airtime than most of than your, we should have. Your outlets would. And it's played out exactly as we expect. Like Georgia Tech are the worst at the bottom of the div and everyone else has They're been pretty good. competitive. Like like Duke and North Carolina North Carolina have been surprisingly competitive this year. Yeah. Uh, and then all these other teams are still very much in the mix. So I'm not sure we can cl- claim a winner out of there. Uh, I'm no. still backing in Virginia Tech. In the, <laughs> but it's, it's very much hopeful. I mean, we'll know more about it by the end of this weekend. Um, that Pitt-Virginia Tech game will draw a line through somebody so uh, we'll catch up on that one there probably the American is worth noting Cincinnati 6-0 they're two games clear on top of Temple so they have clinched the East in the West you've got Memphis and SMU and Navy, and Navy all at 5-1 and one, uh, with SMU down the tiebreaker to Memphis so uh, you know, still a long way to go there in the West. In the Big 12, Baylor and Oklahoma at 6-1. and one. Is there any chance that Oklahoma State can sneak up or are they toast at no, this point? No, I think that's it. So even if what well, Oklahoma would have to lose the next couple... Even then, Oklahoma's beaten Oklahoma? Oh, no. No, because then we, we would play... Well, Oklahoma State would play Oklahoma and potentially, but I think they really needed a Baylor win. Uh, for that to be a realistic possibility. So it's looking like we're going to have Oklahoma and Baylor. In the Big 12 championship game. Okay, into the Big 10. uh, We've got Ohio State at 7-0 in the East, Penn State 6-1. And those two teams play this weekend. So Ohio State can clinch with a win. If Penn State beat Ohio State, that would put them in the box seat with the tiebreaker over the Buckeyes, but it would appear on form that Ohio State 
is in the box seat to do that. Also, that game is in Columbus. So you would expect Ohio State to come out of the East at this stage. Over in the West, Minnesota, despite dropping that game this week to Ira 6-1, and one, Wisconsin 5-2, and two, those two teams are still yet to play. So that one's still up in the air, but they are really the only two teams alive there. Yeah, it'll be the winner out of that matchup uh, on the horizon that we'll see represent the West. Uh, as we move along into the Pac-12, Utah at 6-1, and one, USC 6-2. and two. This is in the south. Now, USC hold the tiebreaker over Utah. Uh, so, there is a chance, providing that Utah... If Utah drop another one, that USC could get through. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting because USC is still unranked at the moment. Utah, obviously, up in the top 10. Uh, they, that is their only loss, that one tight one to USC. So... It's interesting that that's still open. And I feel like USC are always around this mark. Like the, for a number of years, we talk about how bad USC have been and, and how they're terrible. But they're often representing the South in the Pac-12 and making it through to, to championship games and even winning them as, as recently as a couple of years ago. So it's, it's kind of a funny one with USC because they get talked... And I guess that's just the standard is so high there that anything short of a playoff contender is considered to be really poor. And they really haven't been a contender, to be honest. They haven't been in that top four as a serious threat. Yeah, well, they've dropped four games in total. Yeah, exactly. Only the two in conference, but they've had a couple of bad uh, out-of-conference ones as well. I don't know how many four-loss teams are in the top 25. Probably not many at this stage. I wouldn't imagine, no. Yeah. So Utah and USC will kind of battle that out and we'll know more about this at the weekend. And in the north, you've got Oregon undefeated at 7-0. and They have clinched. They will be playing in the Pac-12 championship game. In second place, a sneaky Oregon State at 4-3. and But they are looking well into the distance to see the Ducks well ahead of there. Maybe they can get them in the Civil War coming up. Well, they need that one win to get bowl eligible, don't they? They do. That's what they're hunting down oh, now. Get at it. Yeah, they're currently at 5-5. Five and five. In the SEC, you've got uh, LSU at 6-0, and Alabama 6-1, and but LSU, of course, hold the tiebreaker against them. Uh, there is only one more conference game for Bama, and that is the Iron Bowl against Auburn coming up. Uh, so those two teams will sort that one out. Uh, I would say, again, LSU having the tiebreaker over Alabama will be in the box seat in that one. Across in the East, Georgia have clinched. Uh, they are at 6-1, and one, Florida 6-2, and two, but Georgia with the tiebreaker means that they are home. And that takes us through the state of play in college football. Yeah, so of that listing, how many do you think are realistic playoff contenders at this at this stage? If Very few. Recap? I think LSU... I th- the, if we go like ACC first. Oh, so you want to start from the top? Yeah, let's, let's go them. It's Clemson, right? I mean, That's Clemson. It. it has to be Clemson, and they are starting to just trash teams now. So that but is. If, but if they do fall in their championship game, no one from the ACC is coming. Correct. That, Correct. Oklahoma are the only ones in the Big 12, I would say. With a chance. But what if Baylor go and make the Big 12 championship game and then go and beat Oklahoma? They're, they're at 13 at the moment. They're taking two SEC teams if that happens. Yeah. The, it, it's just, I think that loss has, has killed them and they're out of the running now. Yep. 
Okay, fair enough. Uh, Ohio State have to be, obviously, in that conversation. Certainly. Penn State beat them this week and go on and win the Big Ten. I, they're, they're still in, absolutely. I think well. so, yeah. One lost Big Ten champion, that has to be in. And then on the other side, uh, if you're looking at Minnesota or Wisconsin, probably not, but Minnesota, if they somehow manage to win through... And then do uh, yeah, I guess they're on the same road that Penn State are. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to have to go. It goes. It runs through Ohio State. (laughs) Correct. That's that's where it's at. If you knock them off, then you're a chance of making it. Yeah. Uh, Into Pac-12. The Pac-12. It's it's just the two. Oregon and Utah. Yeah. If they can both stay unscathed, and the winner is a shot. Like it's certainly not guaranteed. I think it has to be Oregon. You think you don't? You don't think Utah can make it? Uh, with Utah's one loss to USC, that's not going to look great. The, you know, we know the committee doesn't. Well, I'm putting words in their mouth, but the Pac-12 isn't looked at particularly favorably. Yeah, but so ahead of them at the moment, you're looking at what the SEC teams. Yeah, but they'll take them ahead of Utah. That I think if a one L- loss Bama. Yeah, and that's where I, I don't think they will. I think with the injury to Tua now, I, I think that will play into it. I think if LSU play Georgia in the championship game. Georgia lose that. LSU go through. Georgia are done with their two losses. Yeah. You're essentially looking at Utah v. Bama. I think with what has played out and the injuries that have happened to Alabama, that they go with Utah. Yeah, maybe. That, that may be naive of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Oregon's the interesting one because their one loss is against an SEC team. That is and a, it, a game that they dominated and lost yeah and and very middling as well sec team you really need auburn to start wrecking house the rest of the way i mean by wrecking house i mean they play sanford this week and then they play alabama in the eyeball but again what's that going to tell us that auburn can beat a tourless alabama i don't know um if that is really anything kind of that special anyway into the sec lsu obviously in alabama I think they're on the outside looking in now with, again, like you Absolutely. said, with that tour injury. I don't know if that can play into it. Like, if LSU loses Joe Burrow, does that drop them in the rankings by a spot to Ohio State? Like, could Ohio State leap them? Um, if LSU go on... If, if they lose Joe Burrow next week and then they, they get into the SEC championship game, they win it in a tight game where quarterback play is not very good. I'm saying Ohio State are going to jump them anyways with what they have left on their schedule. So they've got Penn State, they've got Michigan, they've got the Big Ten championship game. LSU have got next to nothing left except the SEC championship game. They've already done all their heavy lifting with their resume and it's super impressive, but they've got no more points to earn until the championship game. I think Ohio State have it all to prove. Whether they do or not, I'm not sure. Like if, if they win both of those games comprehensively, they're, they're certainly going to jump over the top of them. Yeah, that's brutal actually with how good LSU's looked and I guess it's what have you done for me lately, which is so out of LSU's hand, hands at this point because what they've done for us lately is looked amazing yeah but we're talking about the difference of one and two yeah true yeah i suppose i wouldn't want to play clemson i'd rather take on that four yeah true uh on the other side in the east we've got georgia i mean they're sort of still in it they're again on the outside looking i'm not big on speaking of like it's a beauty contest georgia have not shown me anything and i'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later um, so yeah, I think that is all from kind of 
championship contenders. Yeah, let's get into these games, dude. Let's get into it. Okay, so we are going to go from the least eventful conference to the most eventful conference this weekend. This is week 12. At number five, we've got the ACC. Clemson, Trash, Wake Forest, and... Uh, Trevor Lawrence goes off again for four TDs. They win it that one, like fifty-two a, to three. A very long time ago, that Wake Forest was seven and zero, and kind of ranked and considered as a decent right. team. And I, I suppose this is one of those times, like talking about this uh, state of play, was for a team like Wake Forest to have completely fallen off a cliff, and the fact that Clemson are just really starting to to hit hit the gear that they need to hit at the right time of the year. So. Six consecutive wins over 45 points, something like that. So Clemson are cruising along just nicely. Uh, Virginia Tech beat up on Georgia Tech 45 to nothing. And like we said, they control their destiny in the coastal. Syracuse destroy Duke 49 to 6. That is Syracuse's first conference win for the year. So that doesn't look good on Duke's resume. Louisville ease past NC State 34-20, to including a sweet fake field goal touchdown pass by the kicker. I don't know if you saw that one. I did not, but that's always exciting. That is. Uh, I feel like Pat McAfee was rock hard watching that. And Louisville continue their season of improvement. They've taken a lot of steps, and this was a big game for them to show that they are on the right track, and they very much did that too. So that'd be... Happy, I think, down in uh, Kentucky there. Yeah, for sure. Pitt and UNC go to overtime, but Pitt pulls it out 34-27. Florida State also won in the ACC, but nothing special or that close in the ACC this weekend. Number four conference this weekend, the Pac-12, which did have some interesting games. Just checking out these, uh, like your rankings. Yeah, this is just me. I'm just... Yeah, yeah. A-camp kind of... I'm deciding on what had the least amount of intrigue based on no, like relevant that. games and so how no close data they were. Behind this? Mate, you're the data guy. <laughs> I'm just I go. That's the, why I was worried you were coming in onto my territory. I'm going the eye test, which Good. is what I always okay, do. Cool. Okay, Oregon beats Arizona easily, thirty-four to six. Utah crushes UCLA, forty-nine to three. Shit, you'd be sh- feeling stupid if you had money on UCLA, wouldn't you? Did you have money on New Zealand? I may have put a few dollars on it. <laughs> Tyler Huntley, I know you talked about how efficient he was earlier. He went 14 for 18, 335 yards, uh, just continuing to do his thing. Absolutely. He's been really, really good this year. He has. Uh, Washington State put up big points against Stanford, 49-22. I'm assuming that you're going to talk about Anthony Gordon in your helmet sticker section. Yes, I, I certainly am. So, so he, I won't step on that. No, middle. yeah, we, we can touch on that a little bit later. Because he had a massive day. The Cow defense got worked over by Keaton Slovis as he goes 29 of 35, 406 and 4 TDs. Yeah, what happens next year now? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You've got JT Daniels coming back. He was a number one recruit yeah. when, he, when he came out and he showed that he can play at this level too. So now you've got two prolific kids who... But not only that... Yeah, I mean, sorry to cut you off there, but not only that, Keaton Slovis has done it with his back against the wall. True freshman quarterback, injuries all over the place. And I've been really, really harsh on Clay Helton, super critical. But what he has done with this team, this roster, this season, has to be considered a success, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, there can be an argument there that they're too deep is more talented than most of the rest of the Pac-12 so they, they sh- probably should be doing this like it, it shouldn't be that surprising for us I, I agree but they haven't been doing that True. like they well, have been yeah. they've been in tight tussles and, and crappy games but Graham Harrell is the other one that needs a lot of credit on that offensive side he's doing some good work 
as the coordinator there. Oregon State hold off Arizona State 35 to 34 in what was an interesting one. Uh, and someone we haven't mentioned, I, I could talk about Oregon State. They, you know, did a really good job and they are looking to become bowl eligible, as we mentioned. But Brandon Ayuk for Arizona State, again, I don't know if you're going to talk about him later on, but we haven't really mentioned him this year. And he's in the top kind of 15 for receivers. Uh, we were a little bit con- uh, concerned about how they were going to replace Nikhil Harry from last year, but he has filled that void admirably and has been an absolute weapon for the Sun Devils. Yeah, absolutely. I, I concur wholeheartedly with you on that one. Okay, into the Big Ten now. Uh, we will take a little bit more time on some of these games. But number I like eight, this. We're cracking through it. Here. Yeah, we are, aren't good, we? Good yeah, well, these, are the, these are the conferences that didn't go so well. So uh, number eight, Minnesota, took on number 20, Iowa. I spoke to you about this on uh, Saturday night, maybe. Saturday night, and I was out for dinner together. Yeah, that bit was a, cute. Bit of a Spanish tapas deal. Oh, it was. Which, you know what? Tapas is somewhat overrated. Okay. I like the taste. I like the food. But the price for what you get, I think, is always a something that come, just gives me a fraction pause. I just... Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can see where you come from. I, I don't know, it might have been the sangria that ran up our bill. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that, that was an issue. I mean, I enjoyed it still, don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not like 19 anymore where I need to think about two-minute noodles and shit like that. So anyway, uh, but I did say that the Hawkeyes would win this game. You probably don't remember sangria, but I was like, you know what? I reckon I were going to win this game, and they did just that. Like Minnesota got jumped out of the blocks. Uh, the Hawkeyes scored on three straight possessions, and then their offense went in the toilet as usual. But they managed to hold off the Gophers, which was a, a really good job in Kinnick and not an easy place to play. I think Minnesota have lost the last nine there or something now on the bounce. Uh, they can't seem to beat the Hawkeyes, which is a bit disappointing. Well, it's also because Minnesota haven't been very good. And, and, oh, I, yeah, and Iowa are consistently a, a solid unit. Uh, 20th team in the country. Yeah. They're just consistently there. Always. So, yeah, I mean, I if you obviously didn't listen back to the show because you don't, but I, I predicted Iowa would, would get up in this one. In a, a fair similar to this, I expected it to be close. I just thought that their discipline play style would hold up well, and it did. Yeah, for sure. And and Minnesota, obviously, coming off their big win the previous week to Penn State probably didn't help. But a lot of emotional energy drained. Yeah, and it, and it is never easy. And then you've got to play a good Iowa team who plays sound defense and, and wants to run the ball as well. Uh, but they did outgain the Hawkeyes, 431 to 290. Now, I know consistently you ask any... Uh, analytics person that yards are a terrible measure of success in both college football and especially the NFL and don't be wrong I agree with that but generally you would expect Minnesota if you have a look at all the numbers you'd kind of expect Minnesota to possibly win that game but they didn't and they just couldn't get across the line which is disappointing for them and their season but we'll see how they bounce yeah. back after that yeah my Bears today had some stat going on where they'd run like 50 plays to 20 at some point and they were still down by over a score at that moment it's like how, how does that happen <laughs> I don't know Chicago sucks dude oh they're not good it's alright at least we got a first round oh no <laughs> don't have that either. Well, we don't. We've got a quarterback that just throws the ball to the other team for a oh, living. To be fair, he throws it to your receivers, and they decide to throw <laughs> it to the other team. Some of that ain't on him. All right, Michigan messed up Michigan State, forty-four to ten. I was hoping more than kind of believing that this would be close, but gee whiz, Brian Lewerke is terrible. 
He is missing receivers by miles. <laughs> miles and miles. Like, it's not even close. It's like they don't know the playbook and he's just back. Oh, and I thought the offensive line did a reasonable job, but he's just back there throwing little pop passes to nobody. Sounds like a perfect candidate for the Bears. Oh, <laughs> just custard arm Lewerke. I've been really disappointed with him. My question for you, though, is where does this leave Mark D'Antonio? He kept all his staff on from last year. He rearranged them into different coaching positions. The offensive line coach went and became the wide receivers coach. The wide receivers coach went and coached linebackers, and they just mixed them all up. But they clearly haven't improved. The offense is still a nightmare. They're trying to play ball control offense, doing so extremely unsuccessfully. On top of that, the AD has come out recently in full support of D'Antonio, but I've heard that before. Which and is always a concern. Yeah, exactly. Whenever you hear that. Yeah. We've so, got the full support of the board. Uh-oh. <laughs> that is an axing coming. But what do you think? Like, do they need to move on from nah, him? certainly he? not. He has earned himself a, a hell of a lot of equity at that job. Uh, I think the, the East is really strong at the moment. I mean, you've got Ohio State who are as good as I can remember them being since the national championship. Like, they, they are absolutely firing. Uh, Michigan are not a bad team. They they were struggling early on, but they've they've turned the For corner sure. and they're looking a lot better. And Penn State are really good at the moment too. So, whilst this is disappointing, it's kind of I'm not willing to turn my back on a coach who's delivered a whole bunch of ten win seasons there over the last eight years. He's had an incredible amount of success at a program that's kind of not the blue blood, the, the next level down. So. I back him in. I give him as much rope as he needs to be able to work himself out of this hole and hopefully not hang himself with it. I don't know. I'd, I'm not saying fire him, but I'm, I think you probably need... I'd be sitting down, knocking on that office door at the end of the year and saying, hey, mate, what are your thoughts on an offensive coordinator that knows how to you know, run an offense? Maybe yeah. spread things uh, out a little bit. There's certainly like, some changes that need to happen. I mean, you, you can't go through below 500 and then keep things as they are like stuff has got to change even if you go undefeated for a year things have got to change you've yeah. got to be constantly adapting and trying to get ahead of things and they obviously have fallen a little bit behind the college level it's a bit harder because it's not always that it's often personnel driven yeah. too so you, you need a lot of things to be going right for you uh, and having a good system is a big part of that. But yeah, there's, there's certainly some tweaks that need to be made, but I 100% back him in to be the man to do that. Okay, I think, and I don't disagree, but I think there'll be a cautious, they'll just be turning the warmth on that seat just a fraction at the start of next year. It gets just, cold up there, so just, maybe he'll appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe, but they'll just be switching it on. And I think if he has another year like this, he could be in trouble. Wisconsin roll Nebraska 37-21 to 21 on the back of Jonathan Taylor's 204 yards and two touchdowns. Had another massive day uh, for Wisconsin. The Some more news randomly on the coaching front. Scott Frost was given an extension at Nebraska, yeah, two-year extension. What are your thoughts on that as he hasn't actually made any inroads yet at uh, for the Huskers in terms of success on the field. Yeah, I'm all about it. And I know you've kind of talked this year around, you know, things may be heating up there. We, we haven't seen any any success. I'm all for it. Like, back your guy in if you think he is the right man. If you think things behind closed doors that we don't see in the media are traveling in the right direction, if you like what's happening from a culture sense, yeah, you might not be getting the results yet. But if, if you believe that you're on the right track then i'm 100 percent go all in because the 
that shows confidence outwards. That helps to recruit. You can say, I've, I've got my guy. Like, I'm going to be around. This is my dream job. I played here. I sat in your seat. I want you on board to join what I'm building here. And it makes his job easier. And, and I'm all for Nebraska doing it. They're not the powerhouse that they used to be where there's this desirable location that's going to get the best coaching prospect available. It, on, on the open market... They're, they're, yeah, they'll get a, you know, their pick of the choice from some group of five schools who are looking good, but they're not pulling across, a, you know, national championship winning coach from a couple of years ago sort of deal. I, I'm all for backing in their guy and trying to build something there. Okay. Uh, a couple of quick ones on that then for you. So I don't disagree with you in terms of going all in and if it's all good behind closed doors, but are they taking a bit of a risk and assuming that because he's a Nebraska guy that he gets it? Is there a bit of that? They've got the kind of rose-colored glasses on for him because he's the local guy and they really hope that he's going to be the one, the homecoming, all that kind of stuff, and he'll be the one to do it. Is there that risk involved, do you think, in that decision-making process? Or is it more mathematical than that, more analytical than that? Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I mean, he showed at another program when he was down at UCF that he had what it takes to, to build a winning culture down there and to have success. And obviously, it's great that he can come back to the program where he was from. I guess it just kind of reduces the risk of him looking to go elsewhere because this is his dream job. For me, I always see that as a good thing. Like Mike Gundy, yeah, he's he's flirted around with bigger programs from so, Oklahoma To State get a bigger paycheck. To get a paycheck, and that's it. <laughs> He, he hasn't left. He probably could have gone off and taken the Tennessee job, which is a more prestigious job. But he gets himself a little bit more money. I'm all for it. As long as he keeps delivering 10 win-plus seasons, happy days. And, yeah. and I, I, I think they're on a, the, a winner there, and I, I like this move. Yeah, and I like Scott Frost as well. Okay, last one on the coaching front. More desirable coaching job. Obviously, the Nebraska job's not coming up, but hypothetically, Nebraska, Florida State? Uh, Florida State. Okay. I just prefer the party scene there. Okay. Okay. You haven't been I, to I, Nebraska. That's Good true, be. actually. And I've heard it's pretty wild up there yeah. too. So <laughs> maybe when it, as part of our Big Ten trip that uh, we get going, we'll have to get visit to Nebraska. Lincoln. Yeah, okay. Uh, Penn State get past us. Plucky slash dangerous Indiana. I, you know, they've gone beyond plucky this year a little bit. They've won some games. They're hustling around. They're bowl eligible and they've done a pretty good job. But Penn State get over that one 34-27. They certainly don't have it all their own way. But Peyton Ramsey had a big day for the Hoosiers. I really hope Indiana get a good bowl matchup so we can yeah, see how for good sure. they are. Because I, I think they are a genuinely good football team. So if we can see them get like a, a middle rung SEC team, I'd love to see that. Yeah, for sure. And Penn State found a bit of a running game, which was good as well. Ohio State crushed Rutgers and Northwestern won as well in the Big Ten, cruising across to our number two conference for Week 12, SEC time. I know you thought they were going to go number one, but Georgia 21 beat Auburn 14. If you said to me, what does an Auburn win look like before this game? It does not have Bo Nix throwing the ball 50 times, I can tell you that. But he did exactly that. Seth Williams managed to get on the end of 13 of those, mostly in the RPO game. And he was running those slants and bang eights from the slot a fair bit and using his big frame to move the chains a little bit. But it was the defensive battle that we thought it would be. Uh, and Georgia had this in hand from my eyes the whole way. They're up 21-0 in the fourth quarter. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I've got a couple of things on this just before you go because you're an Auburn believer and I'm not. How do you feel about that? And secondly, you're also a pretty big Jake Fromm believer, but he did nothing to ease my doubts in this game. He went 13 for 28, 110 yards. Yes, he threw the three touchdowns, but he didn't set the world on fire. It was actually DeAndre Swift that got the Bulldogs across the line and controlling the game. It certainly wasn't Jake Fromm. So what are your thoughts on... Uh, Auburn and their performance, and then Jake from as well. Yeah, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, I flicked this one over to another game when it got to 21 nothing in that third there. I was like, oh, this one's done. Uh, I mean, it, it was a classic SEC game, not what we've seen from LSU and Alabama this year. It was more that really, really solid SEC defense controlling what happens. And... I think your points are, are probably fair. So from the Auburn side of things, I think their defense is elite. Like it's a top five unit in the country. One hundred percent. Cannot disagree with that. Those interior defensive tackles, holy yeah. Jesus! They're as good as anyone in the nation, and they're both first round draft picks. Yeah. Like probably looking at the top ten at least for my boy, uh, Derek Brown. Yeah. But. I think the weakness that we've kind of mentioned a few times is obviously on the freshman quarterback, like Bo Nix. It's tough to get the high level of play from such a young playmaker. I mean, you've got Jake Fromm, who, on the flip side, moving into your second point, is a super experienced, uh, probable first-round draft pick himself, and he really struggled. I mean, yeah, yeah, as you said, he threw the three touchdowns, but he averaged 3.9 yards uh, completion. Yeah on the the 13 that he did like it, it wasn't a good day for him no. and and but that's the nature of having these sort of matchups where the defense is really solid and you're kind of playing a game style that's trying to keep you ahead of the sticks you're not taking so many deep shots because you want to win field position you want to get your four yards your eight yards your first down you want to try and do that which kind of takes it out of his hands so we don't really get to see what he could be like in a prolific offense. Like it, it, it's, it's as much game script as anything else that takes the ability away for us to really see what he has. So I'm not putting it all on him. It, it is a, a tough outing. And what I do like to see though is that he does what's required of him for them to win. Like he doesn't turn yeah. the ball over. Yeah, He does have those touchdown plays. When they get in the red zone, he's punching it in. He's doing what he needs to do to execute. So I think that's, that's a really good trait to have at that next level when, when you're going up there because everyone can sling it around. It like The the, the, the top of the tree is, is they're all really good at playing football. It's that kind of mental aptitude to know when to pull it down, when to take a sack, when to, to check down and, and all of that sort of stuff that I think he really excels at. Yeah, I think that's a risky one though as an, as an NFL team picking him up is, is that what you're going to pick him on? Like, and, and I actually like your point about the offense and the fact that James Coley, the offensive coordinator there, hasn't done anything to really push the ball down the field. We've spoken previously about the lack of speed at wide receiver. Lawrence Cager coming across, he's a big bodied guy, but they just don't have that guy who's taking the top off the defense consistently. Uh, and they're not getting as much out of the play action game as I thought they might with DeAndre Swift. But, gee, they've got a massive offensive line, and this has just been the disappointment for me is that they just can't... That offense just still, to me, it's not explosive. It's just not getting going. Um, The last thing I do want to bring up is that girl getting absolutely smoked trying to take photos. 
she was out cold and I watched it live. I was like, oh, 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 I saw it kind of happen. And I was like, she's toast here. And sure enough, that was exactly what happened. Yeah, to get carted off. Just but sleep. As long as she's okay, it's kind of funny. And no doubt she'll get a whole bunch of attention and stuff from this. Well, not saying that she's after attention, but like I'm sure the George, uh, who was it that hit her? One of the Georgia running backs. <laughs> Got her, and I'm sure he'll go. He'll go, and uh, this is going to be gross. Whatever you're going to say, he'll go and apologise, and they'll go and do all that sort of stuff. So it'll be really nice, kind of what people do for her. But um, she is going to get a lot of attention from this, probably unwanted more than anything. I thought you were going to say, I'm sure the jaw will just sew right back on there, and (laughs) she'll be able to reattach that, and she'll be fine. Hopefully, it's not that bad. I I haven't looked into it, but uh, yeah, it was a bit of a scary one. I feel like that little comment there made it sound like she's wanting attention. That's not what I'm implying. Definitely sounds like that. Yeah, I didn't mean that, but she's going to get a fair bit. People will be asking about it. Please, right into the show. Hit us up. He's a pig. (laughs) You guys are fuckheads. All of you, including (laughs) our listeners. (laughs) Now you're having a crack at them. All right. uh, The next game we will roll to. Uh, is Alabama and Mississippi State. Alabama win that one 38-7, but I mean, there's not much really to take out of this game except the tour injury, which was a bit of a car crash. Uh, like, actually, he dislocated his hip and fractured his posterior, the posterior wall of his pelvis, which is not a good combination. He's out for the year now. He's done. Uh, where does this leave tour? And where does this leave Alabama? Does he rehab, come back to school, or does he just go and declare now and go to the NFL? Um, and what do we know about Mac Jones and what he can provide? Does Alabama, is, is this Alabama out of the running now? There are a whole heap of questions that you've just thrown out I know. There, so so I'll, I'll try and work through Mate, them. get through them. Tua, uh, I think he declares. I don't think he comes back. I, I don't know when he's going to be available. I don't know enough about this injury because it's just not something you see very often. And... The, the turnaround times on it. What I am concerned about for him in terms of a stock standpoint is we've now seen three pretty significant injuries occur from some f- like run-of-the-mill sort of things. Like the ankle ones on both sides seem a bit odd and now he's had this other freakish injury. At some point, they'll be asking questions. You know, if we're going to be investing a top three pick in it, we want to make sure they're on the field and available and there'll certainly be some questions now raised on, on the back of this sort of stuff about how durable he, he is, be that right or wrong. I mean, it, they, it could be that he's kind of had a few unfortunate things or it, it, there may be something to that. Uh, in terms of, well, I can't remember what else you said, where Alabama is at, uh, I think that they're really going to struggle to get in now so that they need things to go their way. I, I honestly think that this will impact the Pac-12 champ decision too. I I now think they drop behind whoever that is as long as they kind of remain untouched where they are now, Whoever, be it Oregon or Utah. I think they've fallen behind that. I don't don't think all hope is lost because I still see some carnage happening somewhere, especially in the Pac-12, knowing the Pac-12. But uh, I very much think that it's hard not to take one of the best players in all of college football out of a team and expect the same level. So when we're talking Mac Jones, we don't know what we've got. Like, he's probably a five-star kid uh, because who at Alabama isn't? (laughs) But he doesn't have the experience. He doesn't have the exposure at the the big-time moments like we've seen from Tua. It's unreasonable to expect to take someone with that much talent out and say that they're as good as they were. So it, it, it certainly hurts them. Uh, they've got big matchups to, to prove that with the Iron Bowl. I mean, they've got the 
tune-up game that they often have before that one. But yeah. that's going to be their opportunity to make their their case. But they're just so banged up. It's not just that. They had Raekwon Davis go down as well in this game. They've already had some pretty significant injuries earlier on in the year. I, I don't think there's anyone else out there who's had as many injuries to key big-time players as this program has had this year. And there's only so much of it you can have. Even though, when they're getting replaced with five-star guys like they tend to do, it's, it's bloody tough for them. And okay, so the Iron Bolt, like, we'll assume that this weekend's games effectively mean nothing yep. because they're both kind of FCS games. Uh, where does this... Who goes in favourites then in the Iron Bolt? It is in Jordan Hare. So it's down on the plains. Do Auburn go in favourite now? Uh, I still see it tough to, to call that. I still think Alabama will be the favourite. But it'll certainly be a hell of a lot closer than what it would have been had to have been under centre. Okay, cool. All right, let's move into the most entertaining conference this weekend, the Big 12. We will start with the Oklahoma-Baylor matchup. Oklahoma 34, Baylor 31. We talked about the 25-point deficit that the Sooners did manage to overcome, uh, and they intercepted Charlie Brewer as the Bears were moving into field goal range in the final minutes, which I thought they were going to get that shot in, but just a couple of bad decisions showing his inexperience there. Uh, Certainly wasn't reading uh, that defense that well and was throwing based on a pre-snap read rather than what was happening post-snap. So a little bit disappointing for Charlie Brewer. Uh, Where does this leave both of these teams? Uh, A really entertaining game, obviously, but for Baylor, it feels like one that got away, obviously. But are they better than what you thought? Because you've been a bit critical of Baylor. And then on the other side of things, Oklahoma get a less than pretty victory, but how will that look in the eyes of the playoff committee uh, moving forward? Because they need some some style points for them to get in. Yeah, I mean, Baylor certainly are a little bit better than I expected. So I thought they were going to kind of get handled in this one. I was happy to see them jump out and, and be as good as they were early on. But they're just, yeah, this is kind of terminal for them now. Uh, it, it's been a good year. This is super disappointing. This is kind of where it all falls into pieces. I don't know how much longer Matt Rule is going to be around and that's going to be a big dent when you lose a coach who's been able to drive as much success as he's had there. You you want that win. You want to go undefeated. These sorts of cycles don't roll around for programs like Baylor all that frequently. So super disappointing for them. Oklahoma very much on the outside looking in still. I, I see the Big 12 kind of being left outside at the moment which is probably a little bit unfair because i still think top to bottom it's probably one of the stronger conferences like it's right up there with the big the the big 10 and the sec this year but because of how things have played out they just seem to be that second rung below which is i don't know quite disappointing if if that is the case I, i think oklahoma the the big thing i said in the lead up to this game was they need to show they can do something on defense that's what we need to see to prove that this is a different Oklahoma team than what we've seen the last few years where they've made it in and haven't been able to jump it. And the display that we saw in the first half on the weekend certainly wasn't that. After that, yeah, they, they finally got some turnover. Like first time they had a turnover in five weeks or something. And <laughs> yeah. they, they, they did that. But they really needed to show that they could win 40 to less than 20 because that's where, where the improvement needed to happen. And, and we didn't get that this week. Okay. Uh 
Iowa State get by Texas 23-21. to Feels like a bit of a wasted year for the Longhorns this year. They dropped to 4-3 and in conference, and after their big win against Georgia in their bowl game last year, they just kind of haven't put it together this year. It just hasn't worked. They've dropped a lot of close games. A player who has been really good that we haven't mentioned in the same vein as Brandon Iok for Arizona State is Brees Hall for the Clones. He, at running back, has been fantastic. He goes over 100 yards again for them. And Iowa State keep on improving because I think two years ago when they first started, you know, a few whispers of Iowa State turning this thing around, they weren't winning these tight battles. And the sign of a good team is a team that does win these. So well done again to Matt Campbell and the Clones. And, and they look to be becoming a really solid, consistent part of the middle to upper echelon of the Big 12. Yeah, I consider myself a Big 12 guy and I literally have no idea who Brees Hall is. So There you go. not great on my part. <laughs> it's not. Oklahoma State beat Kansas 31-13. to 13. Anything to note there, Will? Uh, no, they're playmakers. Cool. West Virginia Kansas 24 beat Kansas State 20. Uh, Kansas State can, you know, that is where I thought they were at. I don't know how they were ranked, but they were. I guess you beat Oklahoma, that's what you get. TCU were up big against Texas Tech. Then they were down, and then they won 33-31. So a really uh, entertaining week out for the Big 12. Just a feeding frenzy in the middle there, isn't it? Yeah. They're all eating each other up. It is. Navy got crushed early as we jump across to the independents, sort of. Uh, and it wasn't really close against Notre Dame. 52-20, to 20, you mentioned earlier that when you face an option team and that option team goes down by 21 points in the first half, it is over. You just don't have enough possessions in the game to be able to jag that one back. All right, that takes us through the game recaps. We are now on the downhill run. Helmet stickers, Will. Yes, let's do it. All right, let's get straight into it. Anthony Gordon. We, we kind of teased this one uh, earlier, but he broke the Washington State single-season passing touchdown record this wow. week, which is pretty impressive. When yeah. you think, like you had Gardner Minshew last year who had all that mania around him and it only even got bigger when he made it in the NFL and started and making some noise. Luke Folk, Folk Luke before Folk, that, yeah, he yeah. was there for a couple of years yeah. and super successful in that air raid. I was really shocked to hear that because that's a hell of a lot of touchdowns. But when you have games where you throw on like nine, probably helps, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But they've still got a couple of games on the schedule. So he's, yeah, been, he's done it easily, yeah, which, yeah. which is super impressive. And the air raid just continues to put up insane numbers. Yeah. Uh, David Mills on the other side of this. How's how's this Stanford quarterback going for over 500 yards? Yeah, fucking unheard of. Yeah, maybe 500 carries, <laughs> yeah. but not through the air. So that's a, that's a good effort. Obviously, he was the backup going into the year with KJ Costello Correct. being the man, but he has stepped up, turned the ball over a couple of times, which was disappointing. But hey, 500 yards is 500 yards. Exactly, I'd take that. Uh, Joe Burrow, again, continues his Heisman caliber season. So he had 32 of 42, which is efficient, 489 yards and the five touchdowns. Did turn the ball over a couple of times. Yeah, I saw that. But uh, let's not dwell on that too much. Uh, Keaton Slovis, we mentioned at USC and their big win over Cow, went 29 of 35 for 406 yards and four touchdowns. That is elite. It is. Uh, and Shea Patterson probably had his best game as a college quarterback. 24 of 33 for 384 yards and four touchdowns against what I did consider to be a Michigan State 
good defense. Oh, I thought you were going to say Michigan State defense because he definitely played against the Michigan State defense. <laughs> and that you, was man. well done. I, I managed to pull it back. I, I, it still was pretty poor English. But <laughs> he, he was he was quite good. There were still a few moments there because I, I, I was watching that game where he just it's the throw's not quite right. Yeah, I like, don't know. Like he hits it on yeah. the right shoulder and the guy's turning up field and it's an extra five, ten yards. Yeah. But the guy has to slide down to catch it and it's he's down as well. There's just yeah. too many of those moments where yeah. I'm like, I see this so frequently from you, dude. You've got the talent, but fuck. Be better. Be better. Yeah. Uh, rushing the ball, we had Evan Hull at Northwestern. So they have been absolutely terrible on offense this year averaging yep. 11 points a game uh, and they blew up for 45 this week playing against the worst defense in all of college football so we did have this we kind of talked about it me and Scotty on uh, the lead up show we had the worst offense in college football coming up against the worst defense something had to give exactly right and, and it was the defense that continued to be inept and, and they actually got it going so he had 220 yards on his four uh, and four touchdowns on 24 carries uh, John Reese Plumley, the quarterback at Mississippi, is yeah. just fast. Yeah, <laughs> just running away from dudes. So against a really good LSU defense, who's giving up a hell of a lot of points, uh, he carried the ball twenty times for two hundred and twelve yards and four touchdowns, which is awesome. Uh, and Jonathan Taylor, we mentioned another helmet for a sticker for somewhere on his body. He's in all <laughs> of them. Twenty-five carries, two hundred and four yards. Love it. Uh, and then catching the ball, we had Jamar Chase at LSU. Went off. He's been really good. Eight catches, 227 yards and three touchdowns. Michael Pittman Jr., another one who's been super prolific this year. He at has. USC. 11 catches, 180 yards. A lot of the, like similar names that, that you're well, hearing this year because they're, they're just getting it done. And I didn't think he was going that well, but 82 receptions on the year is massive. Um, and he's a big body guy. He'll get a look at the next level. Yeah, certainly. And then... Uh, Corey Xavier Sutton at App State in their win against Georgia State. So they went down early in that one and, and they were looking a bit shaky, but he came to the party with eight catches, 173 yards and three touchdowns. And then to finish things off from my end, Brandon Ayuk at Arizona State, you mentioned him. Disappointing loss for them against Oregon State, but he did his part with 10 catches, 173 yards and an average of 17.3 for those playing at home. <laughs> oh, Calculated that one up top. Uh, and had the touchdown catch as well. All right. Uh, some big performances there. Well, let's keep this party moving. Uh, Aussies in action. Who were the big movers and shakers in the punting world? So I've got some really, really good news for you. We've, we've had a shift at the top. Oui. And we now have a tie atop. And neither of those is Braden Mann. We have two Australians, first and second, equal first. Really? Absolutely. So Oscar Bradburn on the back of a big performance for Virginia Tech on the weekend with his four punts and average of 45 and a half has moved to equal first with Max Duffy, who has been right up the top all year long, both averaging 48.3 on the year, which is just incredible. Those are awesome numbers to be this deep, that high this deep in the season. Uh, so really good news to, to have both of them there. We've I mean, Braden Mann, four punts at an average of 41.3 on the weekend. Can't, it can't be doing that, dude. Getting it done. That's going to cost you. Uh, Dane Roy's still up in the top 10 as well. John Haggerty at Western Kentucky has been really good. We've got Tyson Dyer in New Mexico. Uh, Louis Headley, your boy at Miami, has been yeah. super impressive. Killing it. He came from uh, junior college where his numbers weren't as good as he's had this year. Like, he's averaging over 45 and a half 
uh, per punt, which is much better than what he had coming into it. So he's taken his game to another level at a big-time program. Uh, and then also in the top 20, we have Trent Schneider and Blake Hayes too. So hell of a lot of Aussie boys there. Uh, specifically on the weekend, we had Oscar Bradburn, Trent Schneider as well, who I mentioned had four punts, an average of 47.3, which is really good. Aaron Sipos, uh, most, most people, college fans, would have watched that Auburn-Georgia game. He had seven punts at an average of 45, so he was quite busy and had a couple of really good ones. Yeah, like too. downed inside the five. Like really noticeable. Yeah. You know? when, when the punter's getting noticed and it's not for missing tackles and, and getting bitched on. <laughs> or shanking return. one yeah. for four yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know that they're having a, a bloody good day. Uh, Wade Lees at UCLA had a, had a good day with four punts at 43. And Ben Griffiths continues to improve. So I, I think he has a really bright future ahead of him. He only had the three punts, but averaged over 50 yards. So he was awesome. Okay, good stuff. Uh, all right, bold prediction time now. Scotty Butler made a prediction around the dire competition or, or battle that the Georgia-Auburn game was. And at times it was a little bit, but not quite to the extent that Scotty suggested it would be. So his prediction, whilst a, uh, a good effort... Not you, quite that. You fucked up. Not you fucked that. out like I usually do. So Which that's okay. Good. I like Which how you're good. taking the rap this time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it was super disappointing for us if he just comes in and nails one oh, God. off the bat. Never so. coming back on the show again. We're, we're happy to see that. Uh, mine was that the Pac-12 would get all Pac-12-y. So okay. that we would have uh, Oregon or Utah, both as heavy favorites. One of those guys uh, would drop their game. Uh, neither of them had a touchdown scored against them. <laughs> So they both won big. That was a terrible fun call. Uh, I don't know. I just, I'm waiting for the Pac-12 to trip up because they do it so frequently. It wasn't this week. So good for them. I'm happy to see it because I want to see one of them represented in the playoff championship. Yeah, and, so and do I. And I to keep winning with that. Okay. Uh, now we go lastly on the punt with Will. And hopefully he can bring us some more good news after a big win last weekend. Can he double down? Of course I can. Hey. Of course I can. So... We're now looking at across the last five weeks. I've had four winning weeks, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, so a modest return on this one. So it's only plus one and a half units. So I obviously I jagged the Michigan over Michigan State. So they were giving up two touchdowns. Easy money. Yeah. Half time I was kind of like, mm, and then they just absolutely started to kick the shit out of them. So not a problem. Uh, and then Florida minus seven at Missouri as well. So they ended up winning that one 23 to six. I think they're only up three at halftime. Yeah, in it was that. six to three. Yeah, it was a six. bit ugly, but I still felt like they were the much better team in that. They, they had more opportunities. They were just kind of not doing enough when they needed to. But if they kept peppering away, they were going to. And they did. So that was really good to get those ones. And then I had the one that I had to show. I also had a few other multis going on into that one. Like I was really trying to pay off the house and stuff yeah and when you yep. get the first two you start like you start to dream a little <laughs> start to maybe spend some cash that you don't have <laughs> okay but alas not to be essentially everything after that point that i had didn't come up so for this i had navy to upset notre dame uh and that was about what eight minutes into the first quarter yeah, toast completely done yeah so disappointing but happy to happy to continue the winning ways yeah for sure uh, and i'm only down 1.7 units on the year now whoa so two years to go uh, two weeks to go i am at danger of actually coming out ahead this year <laughs> <laughs> having said that there's still two weeks there's to go so every chance i dropped 10 units <laughs> this week. exactly all right well this 
this show has now climaxed and uh which is good because english jess the producer she's had enough she's out of here um but please as always do hit us up on instagram and on twitter at cfb down under make sure you do subscribe on spotify stitcher uh what else are we on itunes you can hit us up on podbean as well there's a million other podcatchers out there so please make sure you do subscribe to the show leave some comments as we get to uh as we build towards conference champions and another biggish biggish year to to finish off and we're really looking forward to a bit of a quiet week on the game front this week but certainly uh, we are building and i'm starting to get a little bit more excited as well if all goes to plan catastrophic friday wednesday i won't have to go to work uh, which would be the climax of all climax. Anyways, I've rambled on enough right now. On behalf of that guy over there, thank you, William. My name's Aaron, and we will see you next time.